Hello and welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers, podcast number 59. A big welcome back to anyone who's returning and thanks for stopping in to anybody who's new this week. Well, this week is my first in a really long time in-person conversation and I had so much fun getting a chance to meet Rob Turner, a fellow podcaster with the Inside and Out with Turner and Seth and the lunatic deadhead of the duo. We met through social media and email last summer and kind of put this out into the ether to make happen one day when Rob was back home in New England, where he is from but does not currently live. And last fall, Rob invited me to join a really exciting uh, podcast network called Osiris. So we have been in touch, and when he made his way up to Massachusetts, we got it together and met up and sat down and had so much fun getting to know each other and talking some good old Grateful Dead. Now, sitting down with an accomplished podcaster, you know, it was really important to me to to get my sound quality as the best I could. So with the first minute or so, we record directly onto my laptop, and I have to warn you, it really did not work out so well. So the first minute is kind of funky, but then we switch into the new recorder I purchased for future in-person conversations, and I promise you it gets way better. When I finally learned to really use it, I planned for it to get even better. When Rob gave me his set list to choose from for his stories and his songs, it was 20 songs. So needless to say, you know, we had to pare it down quite a bit. And we still managed three hours worth of music and talking. So about midway through, it was decided this was definitely going to be a two-part podcast. After you get to enjoy Jack Straw from this spring of 1986 tour, I'm going to end this episode, and then the next one's going to open up with more of 1986 tour and get into the 90s, where he has some really incredible stories, Bob Weir stories, that you don't want to miss. So please, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, check back in on podcast number 60, which will be Rob Turner Part 2. It was so much fun getting to know him. He's such a wonderful guy and, you know, it was the first time meeting, but definitely not the last. I, uh, I'm hoping to make it down to see some dead and company in Atlanta and shake our bones together. And, you know, just meeting all of these amazing people is really what this is all about. I just, I feel so lucky to get to share all of these stories with all of you listeners out there. Last thing I want to mention that I mentioned on the last opening is obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you found it on a podcast server or on the website, but for anyone who is looking for different options, Stranger Stopping Strangers can be downloaded on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and of course on the website, which is strangerstoppingstrangers.com, where I always have some fun links and uh, a little blog about the guest. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed making it. And I will uh, catch you in a couple weeks. Rob. Thank you, Stacy. I'm a listener and I'm very pleased and happy to uh, be on your show. So this is so fun. This is the first in-person podcast that I have had in ages. And it's been, it's been a lot of work getting it together, you and I, right? A lot of logistics. 
So you are a podcaster with a couple of seasoned, like way more experience than with me, with Inside Out with Turner and Seth and the Timeless Music Podcast. And he's a brilliant studio guy out of uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, FJ Ventry. But his studio, Good Luck Studio, has taken... Which is great and testament to how good he is at what he does, but it's been really hard to do stuff. But he's given me permission to take that one back to Atlanta. And um, I'm going to start really making podcasting my life. All right. I, I'd love to make podcasts fun it's definitely just a hobby right now but it is so much fun well my other job is a vip host at a, at a music venue in atlanta so they kind of one job dovetails into the other so you know i can do my work at night and then do podcasting during the day so i'm looking forward to my life shaping in that direction right on well <laughs> lunatic deadheads is what we welcome over here on strangers on <laughs> strangers yes i mean i still follow what all the remaining members do particularly where I find Mickey Hart's stuff to be the most compelling, but Weir is just a more most interesting to me on a daily day basis. Of course, I love Phil, but I wish he, his bands would rehearse a little more. But when they hit, they hit hard. And of course, I'll see anything Billy does too. I loved Billy and the Kids. I was too bad that was short lived. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a Bobby girl. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. Love Bobby. I had a poster of Bobby on my uh, on my wall when I was 15 years old. I was the only. 15-year-old girl in high school with a picture of a 46-year-old man or whatever he was in his short shorts on my wall. So I am a ride-or-die Bobby girl. And uh, yeah, bucket list, man. You know what Bobby would say? Well, now, hey, thanks. (laughs) Well, you have some awesome Bobby stories. But before we get to the Bobby stories, they are later on. So I want to hear, you know, we usually start this podcast with, you know, jumping down the rabbit hole. So I want to hear a little bit about the early days and, you know, your experiences and live shows. And you have like, you guys, Rob has like 22 songs. So <laughs> we're going to, we're and I want to play the old cuts. So we're going to, there's probably going to be a couple parts, but let's start with the 80s and we'll go from there. And then we're going to reconvene at some point in the future and talk about both our, our podcasts are part of something larger now called Osiris Pod. That'll be launching about three weeks after this airs. And you and I should get together in a year or so and talk about how that has unfolded, you know, as part of future episodes, right? Absolutely. Or I may torture you and make you do it over the phone as well. <laughs> <laughs> Though I would, I would love to see you, especially if you come to Massachusetts or if I get to Atlanta. I'm coming back for Newport Jazz Festival and a Red Sox game in August. So maybe then. There we go. No, I've never been to, I've never been to Atlanta. I've never been to Atlanta. Hitch up. Come on down. Yeah. No, I'd like to. I'm a kind of sidebar. I'm a, I'm a big Bravo fan. I don't know if I've actually officially mentioned that on the podcast before, but oh my God, I live for the ladies of Real Housewives of Atlanta. So I, yeah, no, I really want to come down and uh, just see the city. And uh, that show has turned me up to a whole nother level of the love of Atlanta to go see uh, those gals. Knowing my co-host, Seth, he could probably find a way to have you meet them. I mean, Seth just makes things happen. That's... That's who he is. So if you remind me, we'll try to hook that up. They kind of freak me out. (laughs) I feel that way about a lot of the musicians I love. I think I prefer it in the fishbowl, but we'll see. Yeah, no, no. That's the whole point of the housewives. I don't know if I want to engage. I just like to watch from afar. But I will say, Andy Cohen, you know, if you're ever listening, Andy, Andy is a super huge deadhead, the, you know, the Bravo guy. So that's where it all comes full circle. So I don't feel so guilty about my my guilty pleasure because knowing that it's all headed up by like a uh, a lunatic deadhead, you know, somehow makes it all organic, right? Yes, and Andy, I understand, is um, buddies with John Mayer, 
and plans his vacations around Dead & Company tour, or some of his vacations, I've been told. I've seen him at, well, I haven't seen him at the shows. I've seen postings on the show. He always Instagrams, Facebooks, and a little bird told me he's going to be in Mexico. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. Who knows? Andy Cohen, you may be the next guest on Strangers Stopping Strangers. I think he's a better dancer than he is a co-host with uh, Anderson Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, enough about Andy. This is Rob Turner's story. Let's, uh, let's hear it. Tell me a little bit about the beginning. Well, I, as a kid, we had the, those Beatles records, the, red, the one with the red surrounding and the blue, and they, had the, they were different four-year periods. That was really the extent of my music. I think I had a Barry Manilow record and Queen the Game. But, but these friends of mine down the street, Jamie and Mike, I won't say their last names because I haven't gotten permission, but um, I think Mike came home from school this one week with Frank Zappa's Joe's Garage, um, the Allman Brothers Fillmore East, um, Pat Metheny American Garage, uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers Babylon by Bus, and The Grateful Dead, the Skull and Roses one, which I do believe one of your guests, I think it was Charlie Miller, said also was his first. It starts with Bertha. Mm-hmm. It has a real quick playing in the band and all that. And I just remember immediately being drawn to that one. And it wouldn't take long before I was terrorizing my poor mother with very loud volume repeat playings of that record. Particularly the Not Fade Away going down, Not Fade Away. Right from the get-go, that whole thing just got me. Yeah, no, it's a jammer. Absolutely. But I wasn't able to go. In, in 80 or 81, my older friends, one of which has allowed us to do this interview, Doug Cahill and his wife Anne. thank you. Thank you. Um, they would all go to the shows, but I didn't get to go until the spring of 82. My, my father kindly... Um, he didn't want to just send me off because I was about 15. So he drove my friend Jamie and I down to Providence and actually got a hotel room next to us. We tried to get him to go out and do the shakedown lot. I don't even think it was called shakedown lot yet. Just the lot scene. It was just the lot. Yeah, right. that, that's been like a local topic lately. When people talk about Dead & Company, I've seen that on like a, you know, was it always called shakedown? What was it called before? I think it was just the lot, It right? was just lot. And then just it seems lot. like after like 87-ish is when the shakedown term, I think, came up. After, when Jerry came back and um, and the whole scene was reinfused. But we'll get to that. <laughs> but yeah, so I went to my first show. Um and my dad was back at the hotel. We couldn't get him to do the lot. And they and he just he and, and my now mother, Sandra, um, just stayed in their room, didn't really even come out or just let us do our thing. And I was just blown away by everything. I, I, I remember knowing every song in the show except one, uh, Peggio, mm-hmm. which don't go to the bathroom. <laughs> that's true it used to be a bathroom break song but I've been uh, I've been reborn on it yeah well it, it, that's the thing about the Grateful Dead the bathroom break song is going to be a good song you know what I mean it's tough nobody can complain or give you hell about what your bathroom break song is it's it's tough it was a tough to go to the bathroom I would always clear the bladder and try to make it through the whole set but you know I, I should get a catheter <laughs> <laughs> or be like Richard Christie on the Howard Stern show and just wear a diaper and yeah you know what? I don't even think anyone would like look twice, right? If you were just like, yeah, man, I got my diaper because I don't want to miss a thing. People would be like, right on. Did you bring one for everyone else? They certainly wouldn't smell twice. <laughs> but I remember just being knocked out by how dialed in everyone was to to the stage, even when they were playing quietly. And uh, the second set came out, and I was so excited when they did Scarlet Fire. And if you listen to it, it's not like a groundbreaking Scarlet Fire or anything, but I was just just so amazed. And then... They're coming out of Estimated right after that. And Garcia's just leading everybody toward eyes. And he has a whole room thinking it's eyes, eyes, eyes. And then just drops into He's Gone. And, and just the way it changed everything just by his decision to do that, that knocked me out. 
And then, of course, Morning Dew. I think it was Truckin' Dew, Good Lovin' Out of Drums. And, and the power of Morning Dew would stick with me till the end of the, of the, uh, of the whole Grateful Dead run. I remember when I was, we were in college, we would track the set list. I was at Boston University. And if Morning Dew would remain due, we would be increasingly more likely to, say, drive six hours to Philadelphia and try to catch the dew. So what was the statistics on the dew? Like, how often would the dew, like, what, how would you think it was going to be, like, you know, coming up? There'd be a rotation of Black Peter, Stella Blue, Morning Dew, and then, and then others for the post-Garcia, post-Drums Garcia ballads. I mean, it was not an exact science. Science, there was even one point where they did it two shows in a row, but kind of if... If four or five shows went by and they hadn't done it, and it's a Friday night in Philadelphia, then you're probably going to get the do, and so we get in the, we're going to get in the car and get down there and get a ticket. You know that what I mean? Awesome. I mean, I wasn't as when I think back to my shows and even when I did my podcast, like I don't have the clarity of the set list. It's just like a haze of, you know, the lot and the shows and the feelings. But I don't have the clarity, and I have it now. Like now, going to Dead and Company shows, I can really you know, think about specific songs coming on and the feelings coming on, like, from those shows. But the whole Grateful Dead experience is just uh, it's just a dream we dreamed one day long ago to me. It's just this, you know, like, beautiful haze. And I love talking to other people who have such clarity, you know, because I don't remember having chasing a song. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so neat how we all have the same love, but we all come at it from different areas. Well, my twisted thing is I've gotten in all these other bands, whether it's you know, Fish or Pearl Jam or Dylan or Disco Biscuits or Humphreys McGee. And even though they're more recent, I can more likely barf up a dead set list from the 80s than a show I just saw last week of anybody. That's so cool. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. I don't know. Just that they have such a stamp on you. Yeah. No, it's a permanent imprint. You know, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's absolutely. And Morning Dew, it's funny you talk about that. That's kind of a new favorite too. I mean, there, there's so many new favorites for me in the last couple of years. And I think I turned a corner with Morning Dew, like elevating it after watching The Long Strange Trip when they told the story. And uh, That's the Bob Weir documentary? Yeah. No, 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 no. Not the other one. The Long Strange Trip. The one the... Oh, I'm thinking of the other one. What's The Long Strange Trip? Oh, that was their big, like, four or five hour, like, yes. up for an Academy Award. I've yeah. still not seen that. Ugh fucking awesome it's fucking awesome and they talk about Europe 72 and Morning Dew and I'll leave it at that but yeah they, the story behind it and it's yeah. well yeah Bonnie Dobson originally wrote it there's another songwriter who came along and basically stole half the credit for it but it's apocalyptic yeah and um it's it captures a lot of what I love about the dead I mean the soulfulness of Garcia's voice the the build the power of the quietness uh the explosive end um it's just, it, it's fantastic. Toward the end, when the band was, I mean, still good, but not, you know, as sharp as, they would end sets with do. It, it almost seemed like they would hit it so hard, they, they didn't even think they could follow it. They were just like, let's just end the set and do Good Loving or Sugar Mac for an encore. You know what I mean? Yeah. It became such a, a looming giant of their repertoire. And from my perspective, other people could see it another way, but that's how I always felt, especially toward the end. Again, I'm, feel, I'm seeing and feeling things so differently than I was, again, like at the time, like I've experienced, I don't, I, I don't know. Again, you know, the one song, and I think we play it on the very first podcast, like podcast number one with Wendy, who was, you know, hey, 
bestie, first deadhead girlfriend, and who you the, met in Israel. I met in Israel when I was 16 years old, and that is like the one striking memory I have is Franklin's Tower and the little dance that we did on Shoreline with the roll away, the do, you know, and like we had like a little dance that went with it. And short of that, like that's my only like finite memory. And looking at Wendy and her face all screwed up with like <laughs> happiness and you know whatever else we had going on with ourselves that night and and the if you get confused listen to the music play and right. i can't hear that line and hear roll away the do without seeing wendy on the lawn in shoreline with you know that expression and we talk about that on the first podcast because it was our story you know so we share it but yeah it's funny how it's just so different for everyone you know well with franklin's when i first was getting into them help on the way and slipknot had been shelved and also um that album i forget the warfield the electric one that's the parent with dead set that came out with the stranger franklin so that was mm-hmm. for the longest time my franklin saying the stranger ending and getting to franklin's another one i used to terrorize my poor mother with loud loud volumes that was my franklin's that one i don't even know which exact show that's from but it's a wonderful franklin's tower oh i love that song my husband just learned to play it well, just the main chords, but he was, he, and, and I was so excited because I've talked about my husband on the podcast before. He's not a deadhead, right? Like he loves amazing music and, you know, he'll play, I don't know. I mean, he'll be playing something from, you know, a Bob Dylan or a Beatles or a Doors or like he'll be playing cool music. And he started playing a chord and he's like, do you know what this is? And he's like, it's Franklin's Tower. And I didn't even know he knew Franklin's Tower. I don't know what made me happier, like hearing him play it or the fact that it was that he knew the song because it's. That's a smart man, because that could be like Steve Martin used to talk about with the banjo. Like, who cannot be happy when you hear a banjo? Like, if you guys are ever upset with each other or arguing, he can just pick up the guitar. And everything's fine, right? Everything's fine. I was like, that was so, so, so sweet. It made me so happy. And then I made him, then again, in classic annoying deadhead fashion, I, I <laughs> made him listen to Help on the Way and was like asking him about the chords. Like, why did they play these two together? And he was like, honey, I have no fucking idea. I just learned the main chord of Franklin's Tower just be happy with it. Well, if any of you people want to impress anyone about John Mayer, listen to the Slipknot, the second night of Madison Square Garden, just this past tour, which would be 10, 16, I don't know. Second show of Madison Square Garden, the Slipknot. Outrageous Slipknot. He is, uh, watching that man play the guitar is, um, no, if I was 15, that'd be the poster. <laughs> right now, I could, uh, uh. I do think he sells a lot of posters. I think, he's, I think he's been selling a lot of posters for a long time. But, you know, the man is talented, you know. The man could be playing these venues on his own and has chosen to defer and lend himself to this music in a very uh, selfless fashion. And it's endlessly impressive. I mean, I know people who work in the business and who have seen him literally get scolded by Weir. This was more early on, and just sit there and take it because he so wants to learn. I mean, he has put his ego. A guy who has been identified as this egomaniac has so put his ego to the side and is making probably less money than he would if he was headlining his own thing in the same rooms. I mean, he couldn't play the stadiums, but the arenas he could easily play on his own. Yeah. But no, he wants to be part of this. He, re- he respects it, and uh, that's a beautiful thing. I, I re- appreciate and respect that. I do, too. It's, it's all part of a, his journey. You know, it's part of the journey, his journey. And, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's giving some things up, but what he's getting back by playing with Bob, like, on his journey is obviously exponential, and he's brought so much joy to so many people, so. But I'm a Periscope guy, and on that first tour, the comments on the Periscope were so funny. 
these people you knew they were like young girls who were like why is this old Lorax looking asshole singing all these songs why isn't John singing it was so funny just ripping on Bob Weir okay my favorite ripping on not John not ripping on John but my funniest best John Mayer moment thus far was this past tour and there's some really pretty funny memes I'll show you the meme of so they did this really cool reprise it was the Sunday night at Boston and they did playing in the band and then they finished and it was encore and they came back with a reprise of playing in the band and John came on and did the Donna roll and it was fucking awesome you know like he was like wailing on the I mean, I don't know if he was serious or if it was self-deprecating or I have no idea like what the thought process behind it was, but it was so fun. Well, what about, we're here in Boston, one of the Fenway Park shows, he came out dressed up like the Europe 72 guy. Oh yeah, in the the, the checkerboard, in the checkerboard. I have a good meme of Jerry wearing the same outfit too. It's pretty fucking funny. Like Jerry in the checkerboard. Because he he just doesn't take, he can't be taking himself too seriously. I mean, between wearing the outfit again, coming back with the Donna Whale, like... At the end of the day, if we're all smiling and having fun, isn't it a win? Yes. And I, I also love the way he very often is encouraging Jeff to take solos. Yeah. You know, constantly looking over, like giving him the eye, like, come on, more, 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 more. And I love that. You know, he's, he's a generous player and he, uh, for a long time, was accused of, of, of quite the opposite. Yeah. So, I see nothing but teamwork. Yeah. I don't know if it's true or not from the past, but based on what I've seen, he is a team player. He does overplay sometimes. But it happens less and less frequently, in my estimation. It tends to happen on Sugary. Yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. he'll just get lost just and just did. lose the band in the dust. But the past fall tour, I like the Sugarys. I thought, I thought they were more cohesive. So John Mayer is dead to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to hear some music. So we, we talked about well, the 83s. Well, so well, yeah, let's uh, play first. Well, that summer, 82, they didn't really play up here. Then I went to private school and, um, and wasn't able to see shows. But did really well. So uh, my father came to me and said, what, what do you want for my, my birthday's right at Christmas? And I was like, well, I want to go to California and see the dead. You know, I didn't get to see him. And he, it was like a big no, no way. And it took a lot of coaxing. But uh, again, my friend Jamie also was able to talk his folks. And we went out west and were blown away by Tent City, Oakland Auditorium. And um, I'll just make a couple quick points. The first night, I remember we, we were sitting in the front row of a, of a side. There was like a walkway. And we were right off the side on a rail. And I remember they kicked into China Cat and the room erupted. And one person literally leaped over us to get to the aisle to dance. Ah, that's awesome. And I just remember that moment. And, and it wasn't that they had finished Cassidy, which is a, kind of a charged song. But just that kicking into China Cat, just it was like someone flipped a switch. Um, I also remember there was a Franklin's Tower yeah. where Weir broke a string. And this is one of these things where I thought it happened all the time, but I never saw this again in all my years. I've never seen, I mean, nowadays we would just change guitars, but the, the, he broke a string and had to wait for it to be fixed, and Jerry just freaking goes off. Um, so if you guys want, if, if anyone wants to um, email us, I'll, I'll give you the exact moment on the audience recordings, but you can hear it, and you can hear the crowd react, and then finally Weir gets his guitar back. And then on the 30th in the encore, I think that might be the same show as the Broken String Franklin's, Edda James and the Tower of Power came out. Yes, that. And uh, I, I even think that encore, the two songs they did, are, the sound is better than the third set the next night because you can hear Jerry and they do Hard to Handle and Tell Mom it was the first Hard to Handle they'd done in a decade. I b- do believe that the theme was a pig pen tribute 
because the next night they did Love Light and Midnight Hour, which then were still rare and hard to handle. Three pig songs in one show, which was unheard of That's any awesome. time, particularly then. I, I got to know the hard to handle through the podcast. Like I, I'm learning, I'm learning so much every podcast, every day, everyone's sets. And uh, Sunshine Powers, she picked the hard to handle. So nice. I, uh, yeah, no, that was in her uh, her set list. So it's cool to talk about it and to know what you're talking about because I wouldn't know otherwise. You know, like transport myself back to at least listening to it. Yeah, January of 1970 <laughs> was a good month for that song. Oh, Jerry was ripping the crap out of that song then. So then, yes, um, and then uh, New Year's, which just completely knocked me out. We stayed at this fella's house, Doctor Strange. He recorded the show off the radio while we were at the show for us. I've heard of Doctor Strange. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know what I've His heard. His wife was Marsha. They were a mixed name. race couple. Yeah. And they were so kind to us and so welcoming. I remember the Get Shopping Center was right near where we stayed. I'll never forget that. The sign was just Get on the shopping center. And they had a really good little Mexican place that we ate in literally like every day. And it was just so amazing to go back. I mean, younger people are going to laugh at me for this one. But it was so amazing to go back and have a recording in the show at the house. It was like, oh, my God, what we just experienced, we can hear now. Yeah. And... Um, the Dinosaurs opened, which was Robert Hunter with a bunch of Bay Area legends. And uh, who else played? I think the band. Yeah, the band. Wow. Without Robbie. But still, right. they had just reunited at that point. And, um, and it was wonderful. So then, spring of 83, they come back around. And they're playing the Meadowlands on a weekend. And my friend Jamie's father now wanted to step up. Because my dad had stepped up the year before. That's a healthy competition. <laughs> yeah. And he was, he's revealed himself to not be maybe the greatest guy in the world, but he was, he was kind of a keep up with the Joneses kind of guy. So yeah, he got his green Cadillac out and drove us down to Burn, Brendan Byrne and dropped us off. I forget how we got tickets, but we were right up front and I was already a Crosby, Stills and Nash fan before this mm-hmm. was, I was a lunatic deadhead. Yes. And, and I listened to too much dead. I vowed as I got older, never to do that with any other band, but I did at least listen to Crosby, Stills and Nash at the point. So they're coming out of space. They come back and freaking Steven Stills is on stage with them. And that's the first bit of music we're going to play here. They start playing Black Queen. And there's another weird moment for me where they're playing something big, but nobody knew what it was. Or I'm sure some people did. But it was just kind of one of those weird moments where everybody was intrigued but confused. Familiar but not expecting. Right. And then it kind of dissipated into Ico. And again, the room erupted and it was just wonderful. So that, that's why I chose that because... I felt the community work its way through this moment, this great moment that was still kind of confusing. And one other thing, <laughs> we went back to the hotel room that night and, you know, while we're partying and doing whatever, we had, the, we had the TV on flipping with the sound off and we came across a public television show that was Stephen Stills playing with Etta James. Wow. On local public television. Wow. So bizarre. Magic. It's magic. I really believe there's magic. I really do believe there, there is. There's just magic in this community. It's the only magic I believe in. I think having a willingness to surrender yourself to music opens you up to special things happening. Yeah. It's not just going to shows. It's, it's really losing yourself in the music and surrendering to it. Yeah. I mean, if you treat it like wallpaper and you talk over it, it's not really going to ha- be as likely to happen. But if you really become one with it, then there's it's some sort of undescribable, invisible thing. Yeah, no, you just, it's tuning in, you know, it's just like the ultimate tuning into it. And a friend through work who's an artist, and she is, she's a painter, and we were talking about painting and art, and, and then she was talking about her artwork. And, it, and as she was talking 
I mean, to me, music is art. You know, like I'm not, I mean, I, I'm not an, I don't not like art, but I'm not someone who like looks for art or creates art. And she was explaining her, like her feelings and surrendering herself and all of that. And in the midst of the conversation, I just realized to me, music is art. Like that, that's my art, you know, and I had all the same feelings, but it's all channeled into listening to music. It's a way of expressing or feeling something that words just can't do. Yeah, no, it's really, really cool. Well, let's hear it. Let's hear some music. All right, well, we are going to go in. And so throw us back. Coming out of space on April 16th, 1983 at the Brendan Byrne Arena in the Meadowlands Complex, East Rutherford, New Jersey. This is Stephen Stills joining the Grateful Dead for Black Queen and the New Orleans classic, Ico Ico.
I love it. 
Well, back from listening to the first songs of this podcast. And again, this podcast could easily be three hours, but we're going <laughs> to. I'll talk. I'll talk about the Grateful Dead as long as you want. All right. Well, so let's. OK, so now we're in 83 and we're going to we're going to go down the line. So I want to hear a little bit about what went on next. Well, first of all, I remember I'm not a big show counter, but after Jerry passed, this was one of the eras where I had a hard time remembering stuff. Um, the fall of 83. I did go back out for New Year's then, um, and that was fun too. And then the spring of 84, really nice shows in Rochester, a bunch of stuff. Uh, oh, the summer of 83 was my first outdoor show at SPAC. That should point out. That's a real special. There's a crazy Althea. You should check out Althea fans. SPAC, summer of 83, long, long after drums. And I just remember being knocked out, out being outdoors and hearing the dead. That's such a beautiful place too. I mean, SPAC is so SPAC is just beautiful. I mean, as a West Coaster, I'm just getting to know the East Coast places, and I will go to every SPAC show I can because it's just special, right? It's just a special little, almost like Shakespearean, right? Like you just feel like you're in those woods, and like there should be little fairies and stuff running around. You have to go over a little bridge to get there. Yeah, no, it feels very Shakespearean and special and cool. So okay. And then, okay, so as I said, fall of 83 is foggy, that, that New Year's run. I remember I, um, I went to a show alone for my first time that New Year's run. On my birthday, I went and saw them alone when it was wonderful. It wasn't a problem. I found it easier to lose myself in the music. And I love going with friends. That's a whole beauty, too. But there's something cool about going to show alone, too. Yeah. No, I agree, because you're never really alone. I mean, you're with friends, and, you know, like, I, I, I like to ditch and float and then go back and then ditch and float and go back. So I, I can see both sides for sure. And it can feel more like a family than even my own family sometimes. So, yeah, I feel very comfortable at Grateful Dead events alone. But the spring of 84, there were two general mission shows at Rochester that were wonderful, and another element of the family that I loved, although later it would change, but the general mission, it was everybody was so nice and so respectful um, really cool about other space and just it was, oh, such a great time. But we're going to go to the fall of 84 because here I am in high school and I've made a, a set of friends and um, we went up to the second Augusta show and a show that I later learned that certain members of the band were on psychedelics, not just snot-nosed kids from boarding school in Massachusetts. <laughs> but uh, I just, it was such a small room. They came out with an electric feel like a stranger. Have we chosen the stranger or the uh, Uncle John's to play? We have the, un- they, they split the Uncle John's. They did On the Road again. I think it was the last On the Road again. Jack Straw. Oh, no, that's a Syracuse. That's okay, later. Okay, that's a Syracuse. Okay. I, I, I forgot to write it down here. Okay. Um, More music, everyone. More music. <laughs> that's cool. Um, well, we should do the shorter one then. We should play the Feel Like a Stranger because that's shorter and it just has crazy Garcia on the end of it, as you will hear. Done. 
And we, uh, we used to play it in our high school dorms over and over again, this specific Feel Like a Stranger. But anyways, the second set, I remember that one of, one of my friends started having a, a rough time. And this was one of the things I'd heard about that sometimes happens at shows. And when I'd heard about it, I was like, oh, God, that must ruin your show when that happens to a friend of yours. And no, it was quite the opposite. It, I felt like I was helping out and other people were helping. And it, I didn't, we moved off to the side. It didn't feel like we were missing the show. And then we go back and they do playing Uncle John's. It just it just seemed like I was more receptive and more dialed in. And uh, and then again the morning they finished the Uncle John's. It was the last split Uncle John's. They finished they like finished the playing, finished the Uncle John's, and then just drop a monster morning dew on our face. And I mean became came to define our uh, high school. Stereo cranking ears. I mean, we used to really some one of our, my friends got his hands on a really good audience recording. I was never good about landing the recordings. It was always usually through someone else. But whoa, this one. And I do think they've released it. I'm not sure. I think the band's released it since. I'm not sure. But as I'm as we're talking this. So, you know, I do a little blog on the website and. You know, most people I've come to find are listening to this podcast on all the podcast platforms, which is awesome. And actually super thrilled to just throw in here. I am officially on Google Play today. So Google Play, SoundCloud, mm. iTunes, and Stitcher. Nice. Woo-hoo. Google Play. Google Play. But I do a blog and it is all on the website. And so with your website, I'm just going to put a shit ton of links, right? So every show we talk about, I'm going to put a link to because I'm going to do you know the music if I put all the music in it'd be five hours but you have so much cool music that people are going to be like jonesing to go check out and find especially god I mean that crazy set list with the Uncle John's and the playing and the Uncle John's and the playing and I couldn't figure out what I was saving because there was just so much cool shit so on the blog at Stranger Stopping Strangers so any of y'all listening on the iTunes or the Google Play and you're like holy shit I want to have these shows go to the website on the blog for this entry, I'm just going to have all the links. Yeah, I think starting in Uncle John's, even I just remember that was also the first night where I started to get drums. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd always kind of enjoyed them and kind of liked them, but I would go to the bathroom or blow them off. This show, I was like, damn, yeah, there is some serious stuff going on. It was really strong drums. So it's Uncle John's drum space playing Uncle John's do. That that stretch should maybe be on the site. But in the interest of time... This most most awesome feel like a stranger would be more appropriate, I think, for the for the podcast. Well, let's go in and play feels like a stranger, and then again, all these shows we've talked about are all going to be linked up because I mean, it's a link, right? You know, why 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 be stingy? I can put twenty links on, you know. So anyone who is like intrigued by this and like fuck yeah, I want to hear the song, go to the link, and they'll all be archives.org because I found them all on archives.org, which again. Thank you, archives.org. I mean, those guys, shit. I donated this year. I donate every year, everyone at Christmas time. When you go to the archives.org, they always ask for the money. Again, anyone who's listening, you got a few bucks, you're looking to donate, archives.org. I mean, where would we be without It is just single, though. It is archives.org, in case you're typing it in. Although, if you you search Google it, you'll find it. You just search any dead show download any day of the year in, like, any day. You just put in Grateful Dead. Like, today is the 16th of January. So, you just put in 116 Grateful Dead, (laughs) and it'll populate with some fucking show on archives.org. It's 
amazing. So yeah. and plenty of other artists too, and other sound bites from media from the past. There's all kinds of. There's a whole world in the in that. It's an archive, not just of music, of all kinds of things. Is it out of Berkeley originally? I think it's in Santa Cruz. It's either in Santa Cruz or Berkeley. It's in California. <clears throat> Okay. I don't know. But I always donate every year. So if you got some change rattling around and you're wondering where to put it, archives.org. So I do believe this is October 12th, 1984. We're going to hear how the dead kicked off the show. Yes, it is. October 20, 12th, 1984. This is a wonderful version of Feel Like a Stranger. And hopefully you'll play the whole song because it's the end that really where this comes to life. I will play the whole song. Feel free to fast forward in essence of time, but I doubt you will. So everybody enjoy, and we'll be back. Thank you. 
We are still going to be in 1984, but we have another tour. So let's hear a little bit about the next stop on your journey. Yeah, this is a monster tour. I think that doesn't get enough love. Um, Love Light returned to the repertoire. They had done it, but they returned to the repertoire almost seemingly by accident in Hartford. Um, The band seemed to be leaving, and Garcia led them into Love Light, and then they didn't do an encore, and there seemed to be dissension, but it was a great Love Light, and... um, um, but one thing I found interesting, this is the last tour before the taper section began because, and we love the tapers and then like I loved, like when I was looking at your podcast, the first one I listened to was Charlie Miller because I have so many of his recordings and, and I love all you tapers and, and everything, but you know, being in front of the soundboard is a big thing and that could be problematic, particularly at the reserve shows because they would come in early and take seats and then they'd offer to trade, you know, seats. But then if you didn't take them, they'd kind of just stay there anyways. And if there were movable seats, they'd move them. And it would can, could create a mess. But sometimes that would fuel the band, mm-hmm. particularly in Providence and in Syracuse. So we get to Syracuse at the end of this tour, which, like every show, had great killer moments. And the previous year they had ended the tour in Syracuse, a tour that had two St. Stephen's in it. And then there were five, St. Stephen, if you guys don't know, really wasn't played much after 1980. It was only played three times, two of which were on the fall tour in 83. And there were like five shows after the Hartford one where they did it, and they, they didn't do it, didn't do it. So then Syracuse's last show, big, big dome, everybody thinks they're going to do it. And they kind of, they not only did not do it, they didn't even really do that great a show. Mm-hmm. So here we are a year later at the end of this crazy tour, and I'm right up front, and everybody, I, I don't know, just from note one, the show was crazy energy. I'm not going to say the, the band may not ever release it because it's not airtight. It's not them playing at their most disciplined. But, oh, my God, the birth of greatest story is outrageous. There's even a West L.A. blows up. Um, I'll come back to the first set. The second set, I, I remember Shakedown, Samson, both really well played. He's gone into one of the best smokestacks you'll ever hear. Smokestack Lightning was very rare then. And then I think it's Wheel, other one, into a really strong Black Peter, and then Love Light again, the only second East Coast Love Light post-Pig, and a monster. If you listen, to, at the end of the first verse, they do this huge stop-start that they used to do in the 70s and that they would not do with weird versions, you know? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, shine on me, let it shine, let it shine, let it... Wow! <laughs> and they just slammed it down where you hear yeah. an echo and it's like it just hit you in the face kind of thing. And they don't... Look, listen to Weird Love Lights. It doesn't happen much, but that's Syracuse one it did. But getting back to the first set, they end the first set with just a majestic bird song, which these days is my favorite song in the world, not just because my dog is named Birdie, but also I think it's Dark Star 
and then some. I think it's more melodically interesting than Dark Star and allows for just as much improvisation. I think uh, really maybe Garcia's master composition melodically. But then they do Jack Straw. And whenever I talk, whenever Jack Straw best versions come up, I still to this day, and I've asked, I'm not the most knowledgeable deadhead. I know there's hundreds, thousands of people who know the band better than I. None of them have come up with a higher energy Jack Straw than this. If you listen, even before the uh, We Used to Play for Silver, Now We Play for Life, even before, Weir kind of has to cut Jerry off because Jerry's already taken off. I mean, he is just lit. It's like someone lit him under the ass for something. I don't know what it is. And then the final jam just is outrageous. And, and it, the energy in the building that night was un, unreal, unreal. Peak Grateful Dead energy throughout the whole show. And uh, so that's why I chose this. If any of you know a better Jack Straw, please let Stacey or myself know. Better energetically, not uh, precision-wise. I'm going with it. <laughs> Again, I, uh, if, you, if there's hundreds or thousands that know more about the logistics of the catalog or the years of the songs, then there's 20 times as many than me. So I, I am learning every day, and I'm stoked to hear this. And, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, we talked about, Jack, I talked about Jackstar on the last podcast, how much I love it because it's such an interchange. You know, I just love the song because it's, it's so collaborative. I think, and Charlie and I talked about that too. Like it's, that's, that's been an old favorite. That's not a, that's not a rebirth favorite, like a, like a Morning Dew or a Peggio. Like Jackstraw, I think is in my original, um, my original arsenal of, uh, of Grateful Dead favorite songs. I mean, it's just, it's got it all, right? It's got the cool story. It's got the cool characters. It's got, you know, it's got the, uh, the collaboration. It's got the jam. I mean, it's just, I don't know. And it also kind of ties into the history of the band. Because around the time they started doing it was around they started not just playing, you know, they're playing for life. They're, they're not just, we used to play for silver, now we play, they used to play to make money, but then it became their life. Um, even though that's it, it plays into the story of these two characters talking, but it also plays into the history of the band. You know what I mean? And it also kind of is a cousin of the whole bluegrass murder ballads in a way too. You know, just just like me and my uncle. Yeah, no. Again, it has like the ballad. It has the the bluegrass. It has the, the that kind of yeah that Mexicali country, but not full in like that bluesy. But it's like it's just on the peripheral peripheral of the bluesy. Like I like the bluesy, but I. That's not my 100% era, so this just gives me a touch of it, and and we're good to go. So, right on. So, from October 20th, 1984, the Carrier Dome in Syracuse, New York, where Jefferson Waffle went to college, this is the most high-energy jack straw you will ever hear in your life. Enjoy. Oh, but shit, might as well be me. Be 
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.